Section forty of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Frances Sheridan. Volume three continued. It was very dark, but I could distinguish when my father drew in the linen and heard him shut the window. I then told my deliverer that I must beg a farther act of kindness from him, which was to see me safe to the street where I wanted to go. He readily complied, and leaving it to his comrade to carry away the plank, took me under the arm, and we got without being molested to the mantua-maker's house. The family were all in bed, when after repeated knocking a maid looked out of an upstairs window, and asked us what we wanted. I told her an acquaintance of her mistress had urgent business with her, and begged she would step down and speak to me from the parlour window. After keeping me a long while waiting, she at length came down. I then gave the watchman the other guinea I had promised him, and dismissed him very well pleased with his night's adventure. After he was gone, I told the woman my name, and begged she would let me in, which she immediately did. I, without scruple, acquainted her with the manner of my escape and the occasion of it. She was shocked and affected with my story, and promised to keep me concealed till my father should come to carry me to some place of greater safety, for, she said, as Mr. Ware's housekeeper was her acquaintance, I might be discovered at her house. This terrified me exceedingly, but the good-natured woman gave me the most solemn assurances that I should be safe for the short time she proposed I should stay with her. She invited me to part of her bed, as she told me she had never a spare one, and I readily accepted her offer. I remained all the next day in the utmost grief and anxiety at hearing nothing from my poor father. In the evening of the second day a porter brought a letter to the mantua-maker, which served only as a cover for a note directed to me. Seeing it writ in my father's hand, I eagerly opened it. But, oh, madam, how shall I tell you my grief and horror, when I saw it dated from a prison? My poor father told me that our cruel persecutor, enraged at my escape, which he did not discover till next day, had charged my father with it, who immediately acknowledged he had assisted in delivering me from ruin that Mr. Ware, after treating him with the most injurious language, demanded payment of him for the sums he said he had lent him from time to time since his father's death. To this, my father making no other reply than that Mr. Ware knew he had not in his power to refund any of that money, which, though it was a free gift, he would restore sooner than lie under any obligation to such a base man. The villain was barbarous enough to have him arrested and sent to jail, where he said he should remain till his stubborn spirit should be glad to yield up his daughter to him. My father desired me to come to him directly and to bring somebody with me to protect me by the way. I instantly obeyed, and sending for a hackney coach, the mantua-maker got her husband, a decent tradesman, and his apprentice, to accompany me. We drove directly to my poor father's melancholy habitation, where they delivered me safe into his hands. 
his joy at seeing me again made him for a while forget the sorrows which surrounded us he told me that after he had seen me get safe into the street and had recommended me to the care of providence he had put everything out of the way which had assisted me in my escape and putting out one of the candles left in my room that the housekeeper when she came up might suppose me in bed he then went to his own he concluded that the woman when she went into my room supposed me asleep mr ware was at home the whole evening and had before that retired to rest so that there was no discovery made that night my father now informed me that mr ware had said when he first made the odious proposal to him that if i complied he would allow my father four hundred pounds a year and settle the like sum upon me for life at the same time in case of refusal insinuating the threat which he afterwards put in execution thinking no doubt he should by this intimidate my poor father so much that upon reflection he would use his endeavours to prevail on me to comply and it was for this wicked purpose he was permitted or rather compelled to pass the whole day with me i would not added my father relate this particular to you for fear your tenderness to me might shake your virtue but the trial god be praised is now past you are here my poor child at least in safety we have some money to support us for a while perhaps the wicked wretch may relent if he gives me my liberty i may still obtain a livelihood and if i can get you received into some worthy family that will protect you from his violence i shall be contented my father unwilling to expose his ungrateful pupil and thinking when he called a little he would be ashamed of his conduct and release him resolved not to apprise any of his friends in berkshire of his situation but wrote a long expostulatory letter to mr ware which he concluded with requesting no other favour but his liberty to this mr ware wrote an answer that he was still ready to make good his first proposals and since he now found he had got his daughter with him he should obtain his liberty on no other terms my father still loath to believe him so lost to humanity as to persist in this barbarous resolution patiently waited another month at the end of which he again wrote him a very affecting letter but to this he received no answer being told mr ware was gone into berkshire he wrote to two or three gentlemen of his acquaintance there informing them of his deplorable situation and begging them to use their influence with mr ware in his behalf he did not disclose the enormity of his behaviour but only said that on a quarrel he had with him he had confined him under colour of a debt which it was not in his power to discharge this he did as much in tenderness to mr ware's character as to avoid exasperating him more against him he ordered me at the same time to write to an old maid-servant who took care of our little house in the country to send me my clothes my father's books and such other things as belonged to him as i had come to town but for a month and was in deep mourning for my mother 
I had left the best part of my apparel behind me, and I had taken nothing with me from Mr. Ware's but a little bundle of linen. My father had been permitted to carry his with him to the prison. As the furniture in this little house was of no great value, my father having purchased it as it stood in the house of the former curate, he made a present of it to his old servant, who had lived with him from the time he married. He received no answer to any of the letters he wrote to the gentleman, but I got a letter from this old servant at the same time that she sent the things which I wrote for, and you will scarce believe, madam, to what a height this abandoned wretch carried his crimes. Not contented with having plunged my poor father and me into the deepest distress, he endeavoured to blast and destroy our characters in the country. He gave out that my father, taking advantage of his, Mr. Ware's, being a little overcome with wine one night, had put his daughter to bed with him, and would have insisted the next day that he had married them. To punish the ungrateful designing old rogue, he said, he had put him in jail, where he intended to keep him a month or two till he repented. Though the respectable character my father bore in his neighbourhood made this story incredible, yet Mr. Ware's power and influence were such that people seemed to believe it, and applauded Mr. Ware's clemency in my father's punishment. No wonder, then, that his letters were unanswered. They were shown to Mr. Ware, and laughed at. The old servant, who was sure we were both cruelly belied, lamented our unhappy fate. But, poor creature, she could do nothing but lament. This last blow quite subdued my father's courage. He fell sick upon it, and languished many weeks, in a most melancholy condition. When he recovered a little from his sickness, he was suddenly struck with the dead palsy on one side, by which he lost the use of his right hand, so that I am obliged to dress and undress him like a child. When the money which we had brought with us to the prison was spent, we were obliged to sell most of my father's books, and the best of my clothes. We had repeated messages from the merciless man, by his vile housekeeper, who used all her rhetoric to persuade us to compliance. But my father constantly repulsed her, with contempt and indignation, till at length Mr. Ware, tired, I believe, with persecuting us, left us to perish in peace. He supposed my father could not hold out long, and he then concluded I should be at his mercy for as I never stirred out of the jail, he had no hopes of getting me into his power while my poor father lived. If I had even had a place of refuge to go to, I could not think of leaving him in the wretched helpless condition to which he was now reduced. I thought, therefore, of applying myself to something by which I could obtain bread for our support. I set about making those little artificial flowers, which had formerly been one of my amusements, and a woman who was confined in the same prison with us and worked for some shops, undertook to dispose of them for me. She had a daughter who came often to see her, and used to carry her work and mine to the people who bespoke it. 
In this manner we have languished, madam, near eighteen months. When hearing lately that Mr. Ware was gone to Bath, and the girl who used to visit her mother being sick, I ventured out myself with the work. The person who employs us did live in the city, but has lately taken a shop in this street, and though it is a journey from what I now call my dismal home, I have come to her once a week for this month past, with the product of my own, and I may say my fellow prisoner's labours. She this day told me she was overstocked with such flowers as I brought her, and have picked out a few of the best of them. She left those which you see in the bandbox upon my hands. I was returning home very disconsolate, when to avoid your chariot which drew up close to the house, I stood up on one of the steps, not knowing it was going to stop, and something in your countenance, madam, I know not how, encouraged me to offer my little wear to you. I have given you this affecting story, my Cecilia, pretty nearly in the girl's own words. I was much moved by it. If this be all fact, said I, what monsters are there among mankind? She replied it was all very true. Though the girl was very young, as I told you, had a modest and ingenuous look, yet, as I had seen such cheating faces before, I would not yield up my belief implicitly. This story might be invented to move compassion, at least the most material circumstances of it, and though I could not suppose she had contrived it on the spot, yet I did not know but it might have been contrived for her. "'I have a mind to see your father, child,' said I. She answered quite composed. "'Then, madam, you will see an object that would greatly move your pity.' She rose up as she spoke this, saying her poor father would be very uneasy at her staying so long, and was preparing to go. I was seized with a strong inclination to visit this unhappy father directly. If, said I, the case be as she represents it, I cannot be too speedy in my relief, and if she has falsified it in anything, I shall probably detect her by not giving her an opportunity of seeing and preparing him first. It was not more than eleven o'clock, and I resolved not to defer the charity I intended. I desired the young woman to stay a while, and ordering Patty to bring down a plain black silk hood and a scarf of her own, I made the poor girl to her great astonishment put them on. I then ordered a hackney coach to be called, and said I would go with her to her father. She looked surprised, but not startled, which made a favourable impression on me. She appeared decent, and I desired her to get into the coach which I ordered, according to her direction, to drive to the jail where her father was confined. When we arrived at this mansion of horror, for so it appeared to me, I let her go upstairs before me. She stopped at a door and said that was the room where her father lay. I bid her go in first. She entered, and I stood with outside the door where, as the lobby was dark, I could not readily be perceived. I saw there a man of about sixty, 
and as she had told me her father was corpulent i did not at first take him to be the person for he looked worn out pale and emaciated he wore his own grizzled hair and had on a cassock girded about him with a silk sash one of his hands was slung in a black crape he sat pensively leaning on a table with a book open before him which seemed to be the bible upon his daughter's going into the room he lifted up his eyes to see who it was he had a fine countenance candour and sincerity were painted on it my dear you made a long stay said he in a melancholy voice i was afraid something had happened to you what has detained you oh sir said she looking towards the door i believe i met with a good angel who is come to visit you in prison i entered at these words the venerable man rose a good angel indeed if her mind be like her face he bowed respectfully pray sir keep your seat i took a chair and placed myself by him he did not seem in the least embarrassed but gravely and modestly demanded to what it was that he owed the honour of a visit from a lady of my appearance for said he affluence and prosperity seldom seek the dwellings of the wretched i informed him that having met with his daughter by accident she had given me a melancholy account of his situation and that i wished to hear the particulars from his own mouth he made an apology for the length of his story but said if i had patience he would relate it i told him i had come for that purpose he then repeated to me every particular as i had before heard them from his daughter enlarging on certain passages which she had but slightly touched upon he showed me the copies of his two letters to mr ware and that gentleman's answer to the first as also the old servant's letter to his daughter which convinced me of the truth of everything he had said i asked mr price what mr ware's demand on him might amount to he said four hundred pounds which was what he had received from him since his father's death take courage sir said i you shall not long remain here ah madam cried he may god be the rewarder of your goodness but my enemy is a hardened man he is not to be influenced by honour or virtue i perceived by this that the poor gentleman had no thought of my paying his debt but supposed i would endeavour to soften mr ware in his favour have a little patience said i and we will try what is to be done i requested he would give me mr ware's letter wherein he promised to make good his first proposal if he would consent to yield up his daughter to him i took my leave and slipped my purse which had ten guineas in it into his daughter's hand as i went downstairs as soon as i returned home i sent for mr warner and related to him circumstantially the distresses of this worthy father and child his honest indignation burst forth against the base betrayer of them both honest i must call it though he vented his wrath in oaths and execrations on his head 
these are proper objects said i to exercise our humanity on i mean to pay his debt and make the remnant of his days comfortable you are a good girl said he you know my purse is open to you oh sir said i there is no need to tax your generosity upon this occasion the two thousand pounds you so lately gave me is but little diminished sure said he i give you that to make ducks and drakes of it it is not to go into the account you know your quarter's income is commenced you may have what you will i begged he would immediately write to mr ware who is now at bath and make him a tender of his money that we might get the poor man discharged from confinement as soon as possible i gave him that vile fellow's letter and advised him to let him know that he was acquainted with the whole truth of the story which perhaps might frighten him into better terms than insisting on his whole demand mr warner said there was a merchant of his acquaintance at bristol to whom he would write immediately and order him to pay the money directly if it was insisted on he said he knew his friend would readily undertake the thing and execute it as soon as possible he called for pen ink and paper and wrote before me the following letter to his correspondent which as he left it with me to seal and send it to the post office i first copied dear sir i beg immediately on the receipt of this you will take the trouble of riding to bath and there inquire for a man of fortune one ware who is the greatest villain in england and you may tell him i say so he has kept a poor honest clergyman starving in jail this year and a half because he would not sell his daughter to him he pretends the parson owes him four hundred pounds which is a lie for though he received that sum from him it was paid him for value received by agreement however as the man can have no redress i request you will immediately tender him that sum and get a discharge for i will have the poor fellow out i herewith send you enclosed a letter which that scoundrel ware wrote pray show it to him as a token that the parson's case is known and that he has got friends to stand by him your speedy execution of this affair and answer will oblige your friend and servant edward warner to mr william blow merchant at bristol london march the fourteenth seventeen o seven my honest kinsman desired i would immediately send this letter off i suppose his correspondent will have more discretion than to let mr ware see the contents but i hope we shall have a good account of this negotiation march the twenty-second i have been very impatient my cecilia for an answer to mr warner's odd letter and this day he received one his friend at bristol i take it for granted acted very prudently for he says that having waited on mr ware which word mr warner took great exceptions to he acquainted him with his commission and at the same time produced his letter to mr price by way of identifying the person as mr ware at first seemed not to recollect anything of the matter he said mr ware blushed upon seeing his own letter in the hands of a stranger ay i remember the silly affair now said he the man is an old hypocrite and his daughter is a young one 
but as I never meant to ruin him, I will forgive him the debt, and accordingly wrote a full acquittal, which the merchant transmitted with his answer. Nothing now remained but to pay the usual fees and get the poor old gentleman out as fast as we could. Mr. Warner undertook to do what was proper on the occasion, and instantly set about it with an alacrity that showed the goodness of his heart. How wonderfully shame operates on some minds! This wretched man, where, whom neither the laws of God nor man could restrain, has by this single passion alone been subdued. He found his base conduct was known by people whom he could not impose on, and his forgiving the pretended debt no doubt was meant as a bribe to prevent his disgrace from being propagated, for though he could sit down and enjoy himself under the accumulated guilt of fraud, perfidy, cruelty, oppression, and ingratitude, he was not proof against the reproach and ridicule of the world. This shows at least that he was not long practised in crimes of this sort. March the 24th. I did not see Mr. Warner again till this morning, when he entered my room making flourishes with his hands. Mr. Price and his daughter were with him. Here they are for you, said he, and it has done my heart good to deliver such honest people from their misery. The good old man poured forth such fervent prayers and thanks for my kindness towards them, that my heart exulted with rapture at being the means of conferring such happiness as this worthy parent and child seemed to enjoy. The young girl's gratitude was silent, but not less ardent than her father's. She had kneeled down before me and kissed my hands. I was greatly touched with the humility and tenderness of her acknowledgment. I put an end to the grateful effusions of these honest hearts. I have done but little for you, said I, as yet. As Mr. Ware had the grace to refuse the offered sum, I shall apply that money which I intended for him to your future use, or your liberty will avail you but little. We shall think of some method of settling you comfortably for life. In the meanwhile, your daughter and you shall be welcome to live with me. I stopped him from renewing his thanks, and insisted on him saying no more on that subject. The poor old gentleman is extremely feeble, and languishing from his long confinement. But I hope, with proper care, as he is naturally strong, he will recover his health. End of section 40